Our scripture reading this evening comes from the book of John, chapter number 8, verse number 12. John 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Undoubtedly, this world has seemed, in a sense, a little bit darker in these last few weeks. And if you're like me, as it's been raining the past few days, it has seemed even gloomier. Sometimes rain seems to do that. Maybe it makes it a nice uh, setting for a nap, a time to take a rest. But, but if you're not uh, accustomed to being inside all the time, and then you're forced to being inside on a regular basis, and then the rain comes along and you can't even go in your backyard or work in the flower bed in the front yard, then a damper is kind of put upon your day. I remember as, as our children were newborns that the first time as their eyes began to adjust to this new world that they were in, that their eyes were naturally drawn to light. And that as they would see a light above them, you would recall this, I'm sure, as your children would have done the same thing. That they would have looked up and, and looked and followed wherever that light went. There's something about light that is attractive to the human eye, that, that draws our attention. In fact, when we think about light, there's a number of phrases that, that we use. Some, some might say colloquialisms or idioms of some sort in which we might mention some of these that, that you're familiar with, like a moth drawn to a flame, or the light at the end of, a, of the tunnel, or, or a light bulb went off in someone's head, or, or we might shed light on something or see something in a new light. Light definitely plays an integral and important part in our life, and without it, our life would be very much different. Throughout the Scriptures, light seems to play a pivotal role in God's working and the things that he did in his dealings with mankind. From the very beginning of time, God created light. Light originated with God, and he is the source of it. With his simple phrase, let there be light, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 3. God spoke to Moses, as you'll recall, through a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 13, after the children left uh, their enslavement in Egypt, God led the children of Israel with a pillar of fire by night. Upon descending from Mount Sinai after Moses had received the Ten Commandments, he came down from the, the mountain, from the presence of God, and his sh face shined so brightly that Moses had to put a veil over his face. We find this in Exodus chapter 34. And then in Isaiah chapter number 60, if you'll open your Bibles, I'd invite you there to, to consider this great prophetic text. We become aware of a light that at that time had not yet come. And at that point, as it was written, was prophesied about. Notice with me Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 5. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather around. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. 
The light spoken of would have brought comfort to the people hearing these things. In the midst of a book where judgment and punishment is brought before the people, for having turned their back on the Lord, there within its pages is a glimmer of hope, a light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. But then as we come to John chapter number 8, as was our scripture reading earlier, we learn that Jesus calls himself the light of the world. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, this will be our main text this evening. John chapter number 1, we find that Jesus is introduced to us as the light of the world, as the fulfillment of that prophecy from Isaiah chapter number 60. As we consider Jesus as the light of the world, I want us to think about this in a threefold manner, and then it will make some application. Jesus, number one, as the light of the world, is illuminating. Jesus is illuminating. Consider with me beginning in John chapter 1 and verse number 1. We'll read the first four verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then notice verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. No doubt when we think about the uses of light, one of the first things that we might think about that might come to mind is our ability to harness it and to use it for our abilities so that we can maybe light our path. We put lights in our hallways so that it's not dark as we walk through them. We put lights on our vehicles so that we might drive on the roadways at night. We put, even put lights on our phone so that we might have one accessible at any point that we might need it. When our life is illuminated with the light that is Jesus Christ, we will have the capability of having reached, quote-unquote, enlightenment. That is, our life makes sense, and everything in this world only makes sense in the light that is the light of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, our life is without direction and hope. It's purposeless. It's without meaning. And as John says in chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus said himself, as we referenced earlier, that he is the light of the world. In John chapter 17, verse 17, we learn that the Word of God is truth, and the truth shall set us free. In this same chapter, in chapter number one, we find that Jesus was the fulfillment of, and he brought grace and truth, that as the light of the world, Jesus brought truth into the world. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, God's Word, and Jesus here also in chapter number one is referenced as the Word, God's Word is spoken of as a lamp to light our feet and a light to our path. And so Jesus is illuminating. But secondly, consider that Jesus is also, as the light of the world, exposing. Jesus is exposing. Notice verse number 5 of John chapter 1. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. When we read that word comprehend, sometimes we might think of the thought of understanding something. But the original language conveys this idea of perhaps rejecting it. In other words, that the light, though it shined in the darkness, the darkness, in a sense, rejected it. Turn in your Bibles just a few pages over to John chapter number 3. If you recall in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, comes to Jesus by night, 
likely because he would not have uh, desired to be seen in the presence of Jesus as one who would have been a blasphemer in the minds of the Pharisees. And as he comes to Jesus by night, he asks Jesus some questions, and Jesus gives some answers. And then in the beginning of verse number 19, Jesus says this, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, Jesus speaking of himself, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Then verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest, notice, his deeds should be exposed. Why is it that men would reject this great light, Jesus, this perfect Savior? Because Jesus is exposing, continue in verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Why is it that above our mirrors in our bathrooms, and sometimes in our bathroom mirrors even, we put large, bright, shining lights? Of course, we understand that light more properly exposes the blemishes that might be on our face or the leftover food that might be in our teeth. Maybe the hairs that are out of place. It's interesting to me that God's Word in James chapter 1 is spoken of as a mirror. A mirror that we ought to look into, the Word of God being the mirror that we ought to look into to be able to see the shortcomings that are in our life. But if Jesus wasn't in the Word of God, we couldn't make sense of the truth. Jesus exposes those things in our life through the Word that need to be changed, that need to be altered, that need to be adjusted. As the light of the world combined with the mirror, our imperfections as imperfect humans are more clearly seen and visible. Furthermore, when we understand that Jesus' presence exposes imperfections, it gives us a greater understanding as to why the world shies away from him. We understand when most robberies and thefts and crimes how they take place at night under the cover of darkness because we realize that those that are doing those deeds don't want those deeds exposed. They want them hidden. They don't want to be found out. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he reveals our imperfections and when we see our lives compared to his and, and our shortcomings and our follies, we can't help but if we don't want to change, shy away from him and reject him and not have any desire to have him in our lives. And so Jesus, as the light of the world, is exposing. But number three, consider that Jesus, as the light of the world, is penetrating. He is penetrating. Turn back to John chapter 1 and read with me, continuing in verse number 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist as we know him. And this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that being Jesus, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, that is, John was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, which was Jesus being that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Verse number nine, as we consider Jesus as the penetrating light, I want us to think about, as perhaps you might recall from your childhood, as I do, this 
riddle, as it were, of, of a king who had a daughter that he uh, was, was desiring of a, of a man that would be uh, well suited to take care of her. It might be her husband. And so he set up this challenge that whoever could figure out this riddle of his, that, that they might be able to have his, hand, his daughter's hand in marriage. And so he gave each of them a sum of money. And he said to them, these three individuals, these three men that were suitors of his daughter, he said to them, I want you to take this money and buy something that can fill up this entire palace room of mine. And so each of them went into their way into the marketplace and they found different things and they purchased those items and brought them back to the king's palace. And, and one man came back with a load of feathers, thinking that he could buy a lot of feathers for the sum of money that this king had given him. And he opened the bags of feathers and tried to fill the room, but they only filled up a corner of them. And another man came along and brought rice that he had purchased in the marketplace. And that rice could only fill up that he purchased that, with that sum of money with just a couple of the corners. But a third man walked in with a small object in his hand, and that man had purchased a candle. And as he had lit, lit that candle, that light filled the whole room. And so he had, in a sense, won that contest we think about Jesus as the penetrating light, the light that is able to penetrate every corner, every nook and cranny of the world. As we think about what is said in verse number nine, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. We need to realize that Jesus as the light is capable of reaching every corner of the earth to every man and woman, to every race, to every group of people, no matter their nationality, no matter what they look like, Jesus as the penetrating light is powerful enough to touch every heart. That being said, every heart that he is capable of reaching must be a heart that is desirous of him. Jesus talks about the fact that not every heart is a good soil, that some soils would reject that seed, that they would not accept it. We follow that, that, or that follows in our text here in verse number 11, in which it is said of Jesus that he came to his own. Even his own did not receive him. And so in order to be an individual that has, an, has been impacted by Jesus, we must have a heart that is willing to receive him. And so Jesus is certainly exposing, and he is penetrating, and he is illuminating. But I want us also to think about the fact as we make application that these things make sense for us as well. I've been really excited to preach this particular sermon because it's something in regards to its application that I find very interesting and near and dear to my heart. As some of you may know that I am a amateur, an amateur landscape and wildlife photographer. And while, while though I profess to be a photographer, many of you that are listening, perhaps all of you, are actually photographers. It seems as the concept, as, as the concept of photography, especially in recent years, has, has taken the general population by storm. In other words, everybody has a camera and everybody's taking a picture Everyone wants to capture the moment, whether they desire to carry the big equipment or just their own cell phone. It seems that everyone has interest in capturing that special moment that isn't meaningful to them. And without becoming too technical, the interesting thing about photography is that you're not actually capturing a moment as we might think of it. Rather, when you are taking a photograph, what you're doing is you are writing light. 
you're riding light. If I was speaking Greek this evening, I would be using this particular word in reference to light. I would be using the word phos. That word looks very similar to the, the root or the prefix of, of the word in which we're thinking about in regards to photograph. That second part of the word in the original graphe, to write. And so when we think of and we see the etymology of our English word photograph, we see the concept before us, to write with light. That's actually what you're doing when you are taking a picture, that as that light comes into the sensor of your camera, that the light that it sees is being written into data, today anyway, on film, in the film days, it was being written on an actual uh, piece of material. Now it's being written in the digital days on some sort of data. But as we think about that, we're, when we're taking a photo, we are writing with light. In Matthew chapter 5, as we think about this principle, Jesus tells us in verses 14 through 16 that we are the light of the world. It's interesting to think about that Jesus earlier had said that he was the light of the world, but then in the Sermon on the Mount said that you and I are the light of the world. As a photographer, I'm excited to submit to you this evening that as Christians, we are a photograph of Jesus Christ. But don't take my word for it. Open your Bibles and consider or look on the screen Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8, and notice what Paul says in his letter to the Romans. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, notice, conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The third word in the Greek language here, particularly in this particular verse, is the word icon. That is the word that is translated in our English versions, the word image. Icon sounds very similar. In fact, it's very much related to our English word icon or image. When you think about the icons that are on your computer screen in which it's not the actual program that you are clicking on, but it's a picture of it. An image that is telling you if you open up this particular icon that the desired program that you're after will come open. And so as we think about that, I want to make a few applications for us in the time that we have remaining. Number one, in order to become a photograph of Christ, I must commit to His way. I must commit to His way. The way that a camera works, when a photographer captures an image, they initiate the process by pushing the shutter button. If you have a, a digital camera, you know that button, but if you have just a phone camera, you also recognize that button, that you just push it. And in that moment, you are committing to capturing that moment that is before you. In the film days, this was a much bigger deal, a commitment that was more costly. In this day and age, we have unlimited potential in which we can push that button over and over and over again, and every image that we so desire can be saved. But in the film days, that was, that was a rather big investment because you could only do it once. And then you could do it maybe several more times on a particular roll of film, but eventually you run out of that film and you have to go buy more. As we think about this commitment as human beings, in order for our image to be conformed to His, we must first commit to the understanding that our life is to be called an imitation of His. We must soften our hearts and we must allow the light of the world to write His image on our heart 
In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul pleads, pleads with the Romans, and he, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a holy, a, a, an acceptable sacrifice. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's pleading with them that they might conform themselves to the image of Jesus Christ, that they might present their bodies a living sacrifice, that they might do all things in a way that patterns themselves after Jesus. And we need to, in order to be a photographic Christian, we need to open our hearts up to having the light of the world written upon our hearts, which leads us to the next step in becoming a photograph of Christ. We certainly need to commit to his way, but secondly, to become a photograph of Christ, I must confess that I trust in his way. I must confess that I trust in his way. When a photographer initiates the shutter, there is an understanding that the sensor or the film will be exposed to the light that is before it. And that opening up the sensor to that light will work the way that it's supposed to. If you haven't been able to see this. This is what a normal camera might look like other than your phone camera. And that arrow there points to the internal sensor. And that's the sensor that as you open or press that button, that the light then is brought into through the lens onto that surface and that scene before it is written onto that sensor and then saved digitally in today's technology. What once was in total darkness, that sensor is now being written upon a blank slate will now be transformed and changed to an image that was not there before. We need to trust that process as photographers that that will happen when we push that button. And similarly, we need to trust that process when it comes to Jesus as the light of the world is, as he expo is exposed to our heart that our shortcomings, that our blemishes, that our failures will be exposed. As we talked about in James chapter 1, Verse 23 through 25, consider this. We, we referenced it earlier, but let's read it together now. James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he, looks, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does." We first, as photographers, a photograph of, of Christ, we are committing to following after the, or patterning ourselves after the, the life of Christ. But secondly, we are trusting in the fact that as we see Jesus, as we see the Word of God revealed upon our hearts, that it's going to expose some things that need to be changed, which brings us to our third consideration. To become a photograph of Christ, a true representation an accurate image of the scene before us that is Jesus Christ, I must, number three, conform to his way. Conform to his way. When we think about this, when a photographer exposes the sensor or film to the light, they have taken, or they then take that image into a dark room. If you are familiar with the film days, you're familiar with a dark room. Not many people do that anymore these days. Instead, they take it into what's known as a light room, a digital computer-based dark room, in which maybe, perhaps you're like me, 
at some point you've taken a photo and that photo doesn't look anything like the scene that was before. You've been there, right? You've taken that picture of your, of your child, and he was just, he looked radiant and glowing on his birthday as he was blowing out the candles, and you look at your screen, and it's just dark, and maybe even blurry, and, and you can't really see the smile on their face. And so what a photographer will do is they'll go into the, the dark room or the light room, and they'll, they'll brighten an image, maybe as a landscape photographer, you, you straighten the horizon. You remove blemishes from a lens, as we'll talk about more in a moment. You more properly ex- expose the image. You adjust the brightness. Many have said that they have committed to conforming to his image. But this is where our analogy might break down in some areas. They might say that they have committed to conforming his image, to conf- conform their image to Christ, but they've never actually taken the time to develop their image in comparison to Jesus. Consider this. This is a photograph that uh, one evening a couple weeks ago as we needed to get out of the house as a family, drove up the road a little ways and found some blue bonnets, an Indian paintbrush. It's a great image, right? It's a beautiful scene, but as you'll notice, it's maybe a little bit dark. Maybe the color's not as as rich as it would have been in, in your actual, uh, through your actual eyesight as you looked at the scene in the warm evening light. And so I took that image home, and, and I didn't alter the image or change it to look in a, in a different sense than what it actually looked like in person. And so what I did is I opened it up in my program, and I tried to more accurately represent the scene that was before me. And so I straightened the horizon a little bit, and I enriched the color, not beyond realization, reality, right? Rather, but an accurate representation. In fact, there's also something that you can't even see. I removed some blemishes from this image that were there that, that weren't actually in the scene. Because what happens sometimes is you take an image and as you're changing lenses at times, dust gets inside of your camera and it settles on that sensor to the point that that dust is actually represented in that image. You can't see it here, but I've put some circles on the image there before you. And so, as you move forward and going back and forth, perhaps you can see that they've been taken away, those blemishes. So, as you think about that analogy of us being a representation or a photograph of Christ, that as we look into the Word of God, and as 2 Corinthians chapter number 3 points out that we are to be individuals that are constantly becoming more and more like Christ, that as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, that you and I are to do a particular thing. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 18. But as we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When others look at us, yes, we aren't going to be perfect. Yes, there are going to be shortcomings in our life. But you and I ought to make sure that we ought to give every effort to look at the Word of God and the mirror of our soul and look for those little blemishes that you might not be able to see, to, to a, nor- a normal person might not be able to see, but that you and I are aware of. That you are, and I are aware of the fact that they need to be changed. And so we ought to adjust those things and remove them from the photograph of Christ. Our final observation as we think about being photographs of Christ, to become a photograph of Christ, I must, number four, conform to His way. 
Conform to his way, I'm sorry, call others to his way. Conform to his way was our previous consideration. We must call others to his way. When we think about taking a photograph, after developing that image, a photographer will then print that image on to some sort of medium, perhaps a, a piece of paper or a canvas or even these days on some piece of metal. What kind of photographer would print those things and then just store those photographs in a closet? What kind of individual wouldn't put that great photograph that they had taken time and money to print out and just not show it to anyone? What good is captured written light if you just print it out and store it away? Similarly, what good is a Christian life if you claim to conform to Christ's image but you never display it to the world so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven? That's what Jesus said to do. We are the city that is set upon a hill. You and I as the church, as the representation, the photograph of Christ, are to shine so brightly before others that when they see us, they see Jesus. Is that true of your life? Are you an accurate representation of Christ as a picture of Him? As we close, I want to call our attention back to Isaiah chapter number 60. We began... Here, in the prophecy of this coming light, this light that was Jesus. But notice verses 19 and 20. Put yourself in the shoes of these individuals that had turned their back upon God, and they had found themselves in dire straits. But then, as we said earlier, there was this light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe you find yourself there today, in dire straits. Not talking about because of the virus. Talking about because of sin. The sun shall no longer be light for your day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, you'll no longer be in darkness, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended it's not to say that you'll never again have heartache or difficulty in this life. But when you have Jesus exposed to you and you conform to his image, your life is changed. Your life is different. The question for you this evening is, do you have the light in your life? Or are you still walking in darkness? Are you, as Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, a child of the light? said, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. But maybe you are a child of the light, but you have reverted to the darkness. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 14. What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? Or what communion does light have with darkness? He says in verse 17, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord call your attention to one final verse as we close. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you into his marvelous light. If you're not a child of God this evening, if you're not a child of light, become one today. Today, yes, even today, even though you're quarantined at home, we can have you come up here as an individual and baptize you in the water and grave of baptism, all you need to do is believe, repent 
of the sins that you have in your life. Confess the sweet name of Jesus and have your sins washed away in baptism. If you have a question, you have a need, send an email to either John Baker or myself. We'd love to help you with those things. If you're a child of light, but though you've fallen prey, perhaps, to the darkness, you've come into the light, but you've reverted back to it, make that right. Let your light shine again, once again, as together we sing this song of encouragement.